This is back to back. Yo, what's up, back to backers? This is Willie Joy. Welcome to the show. This is back to back. This is my podcast. As always, happy to be here with you. How is everybody doing? How's everybody feeling? How was your week? Happy Tuesday, assuming you're listening to this on a Tuesday. Uh, let's get into this show. My guest on the show is none other than Matt Zoe. I like this one a lot. Fascinating guy. I think it's safe to say almost universally respected in the industry for the high quality of his music, the boundary pushing. He's always been kind of an enigmatic figure to me. Maybe that's just because I had never met him before, but I was really interested to do this. I thought it turned out great. We're going to get into that in just a minute. He's got a brand new track out right now called Vice. It's out on his own label, which is called Mad Zoo. We talk about the label. We talk about the tune, everything in this conversation. And keep your eyes peeled because he has an upcoming EP on Anjuna Beats where it all started for him back to the trance roots. I don't have a release date for that, but I know it's coming soon. So keep your eyes open. Before we get into that conversation, let me do a quick rundown on the business of the show. As always, I want to highly recommend the Spotify playlist that I make for this show. That is a playlist that I update every single week with brand new music from my guests, myself, music that we discuss in the show, other related songs that I think you might like. I promise it is not just a way for me to promote whatever my new projects are. I know that's kind of what every single DJ does. And yeah, some of my new shit is in there. But really, I curate this a lot. There's going to be some cool stuff you haven't heard before. It's not the same old thing. It's called the Back to Bangers playlist. You can find a link to that in the description of this episode. I've been getting great feedback on it, so go check it out. And if you do check it out and you think it sucks and you want to yell at me, all you have to do is email backtobackpod at gmail.com or you can hit me up at willyjoy or at backtobackpod on all social media. You know, I default to the negative view because it's funny, but if you like it, yeah, I'd, I'd like to hear that too. And if you really like it, if you really like this whole show, if you like what we're doing here at Back to Back, Help us spread the word. Help us grow. Tell a friend about us. That is the best way you can support this show. You know, we don't ask for your money. We don't really do advertising. I'm not saying we never will, but we haven't so far. So the best way that you can help us grow is by telling somebody. And that could be a tweet. That could be a post. That could just be retweeting our accounts. That could just be running into a friend who you know loves music and telling them to check out Back to Back. Whatever it is, I know a lot of people out there are doing that. Every day I see it. It means a lot. I appreciate it, and it truly does help. You can also subscribe to this show on whatever platform you're listening on. That way, every time I post an episode, you'll get it straight to you the second it's out. You don't have to worry about missing a thing. Leave us a rating and a review on iTunes if you're listening there. You know, I think all artists out there, anybody that you think is doing cool stuff, they deserve your support. This is a way you can do it for free, and it takes about 30 seconds. All right. So for this conversation with Matt Zoe, I met up with him. Oh, man, I got to tell you, the context for this interview was bizarre. Uh, we did it in the basement of his hotel 
And the space that they gave us to record in was this creepy abandoned nightclub in the basement of this hotel. Uh, I'd actually been there once before. I recorded the Hero Bust episode there and then totally forgot about it, probably because it was sort of scarring and nightmarish. But once again, here we were back in this abandoned, huge club that I don't understand why it's there. And to make things weirder, there was all this kind of creepy art on the walls. There were these sort of cartoony Street Fighter characters, but instead of Street Fighter, the logo said Child Cancer Fighter. I can't make this up. It was every bit as weird as it sounds, probably weirder. And you'll hear us kind of be weirded out at the start by it. So yeah, that's where we were. Good times. I think we both ended up getting a kick out of it, and it was just great to talk to him. I've always been really intrigued by him. If you're a fan, if you follow him, you know he's always been you know, very outspoken, very much blazing his own trail, so to speak. He's also quick to speak up about issues that he sees happening in the music industry, in the dance scene. He's been very vocal about problems that he sees and things that he's excited about. And I think you can really tell with his music, too. He's just excited to push boundaries, discover new sounds, keep learning, keep creating. I think that really comes across in this conversation. We talk about it all, man. You know, we talk about working with people like Porter Robinson, Kill the Noise. We talk about starting his own label, Mad Zoo. You know, he came from the trance world. I find that really fascinating because it's something I know less about. And now, actually, he's kind of making a little return to it. Keep listening for more details on that. And yeah, this was just fun, man. I had a great time with this one. Don't forget, Matt Zoe has a new track called Vice. It's out right now. And keep an eye peeled for his new EP on Anjuna Beats coming soon. So let's get into it right now. This is me and Matt Zoe back to back. Let's go. God, this is such a weird space. Yeah. <laughs> I like it. I, feel, yeah, I really no, I, do like it. I feel like we're doing something we're not supposed to do. Right. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it feels like we're definitely not supposed to be here. Wait a minute. Child cancer fighter? Do you see this? Yes, yeah, so I'm kind of confused. What the <laughs> fuck is happening? <laughs> Uh, okay, so uh, we just started recording. We're in an empty club, abandoned club, and on the wall there is a Street Fighter, two Street Fighter paintings that say Child Cancer Fighter. Yeah, in a, in a hotel, I should add. Right, we're in the basement of a hotel. So just to, you know, I, I hope everybody listening is with us here. <laughs> yeah, welcome. Welcome to our terrible nightmare. <laughs> but this is great, man. Thanks for uh, taking a little time to talk to me. Yeah, um, thank you. Yeah. Uh, right now, so what are you in town to do? You're, you're on like a house music tour right now? Yeah, it's sort of a tour. Um, yeah, I'm just playing a few house shows around and playing one here at uh, Bang Bang. Nice, man. So the house shows, you're playing just house music. I know you put out the house EP recently. Mm-hmm. How have those shows been? Is it kind of refreshing, a change of pace? Yeah, I mean, I don't usually just stick to house anyway but you know it's sort of house orientated um which it, it's nice to just like play one kind of style or at least like tempo for a whole set because sure. i used to i used to go pretty crazy and change it up a lot and i, I kind of prefer sometimes just to have a, a flow 
Yeah, I, you know, I kind of feel the same way because I I'm very much like you were saying you used to be. Like I mm-hmm. go all over the map, genre to genre, tempo to tempo, at will, and it's it's kind of how my brain works. I feel like maybe it's the same right. with you. Yeah. But then sometimes I think just in terms of putting on a good show and having a good connection with the audience, exactly. it can be better to pull it back a little bit. Right. It's like my tastes are are varied, but when I go out to a club, I don't really want to hear it. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, so I'm trying to do more of what I'd actually want to hear at a club and have fun, you know. <laughs> I think that's the best way, yeah. That's that's actually a theme that's come up on this show a lot is, mm-hmm. you know, some of the most successful people or the most inspiring people are the ones who kind of just put out into the world what they would like for themselves, you right. know. Right, exactly. Yeah, it's a... Who so who is coming at this point in your career? You know, somebody goes to a Matt Zoe show. Do you think they have certain expectations of what you're gonna do? Are um, there songs you feel like you have to play? I feel like there's like two different types of uh, well, there's loads of different fans, but I, I get a lot of these two types of fans. One they want to hear trance, <laughs> right? A lot, and the other still holding one, on, and the other want to hear like drum and bass. <laughs> <laughs> so it's the two ends of the spectrum, right? And, and I've got to accommodate in for the back. It. right. <laughs> so um, how do you I, navigate that? Uh, I accommodate neither. <laughs> <laughs> no, I I try to um, sometimes like you know throw in a bit of trance and a bit of drum and bass influence, um, but yeah, I try and meet somewhere in the middle, which is difficult. Yeah. It was interesting when I knew I was coming to talk to you, I was sort of thinking about the the arc of your career and the music you were making at different eras in your career. And I was I was wondering at sort of at what point you decided to start branching out and diversifying your your output to the public. And if that was a difficult moment, if it uh-huh. was hard for people to follow along or if yeah. you were nervous about it. <clears throat> well, I mean, it seemed natural thing to do to me because I, when I started, I was a lot more varied than I am now. Actually, mm. <laughs> I was making all kinds of weird stuff. But, well, am um, I correct in saying that you were first known for trance for right. a few years? Correct. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then shortly after that, I had a release with Hospital, and that got some kind of version of success. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> um, but. Yeah, no, I I've always been a really varied artist, so um it it was like I had to do it. <laughs> sure. It's just to just to be myself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And maybe it sounds like if you've had that tone or those inclinations for a large part of your career, maybe people just expect that from you right. at this point. Yeah, and also I was a lot I was really young <laughs> when I was like going through that. How young? So, like um, 21, 22, okay, when I yeah. was like making the decision to branch out. Um, and I think when you're younger, you're a lot more, you just don't think about the consequences and you don't think about, um, will my fans like this? You don't even, at the time, I didn't really think like about having fans. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> like, you weren't even thinking about the bigger picture of how this will affect exactly. your career. Yeah. I kind of do you miss those days? Yeah, I, I, I being do more in, carefree in some ways, but I quote try and unquote, less responsible. Right, I I try and hark back to that. Like I try and get in that mindset as much as possible. Um, How do you do that? I, I'm asking only for personal interest. I, it's hard. Um, 
one of the ways is just detaching for a long time. Mm. Um, I had a year where I was like just not really writing music, trying to like, yeah, develop myself as a person. Um, and were and that, you still on the road? Were you still hardly? Okay. I mean, a little bit just to stay afloat. But yeah, I uh, just taking some time off and doing something that is completely unrelated to this whole industry is like definitely. I love that advice, <laughs> man, because I think there's this unspoken agreement that we all have that if you stop you've failed you know right. and like if you take time off you've just like set yourself back there's this yeah. weird mentality that you I, just can't stop. I don't know where that comes from because history has proven time and time again that you know the arc of someone's career is not linear nor is it you know one bell curve you know it's always at least two or three humps of oh of, sure and, and if you like, look at i think the artists with the most longevity in the game not all of them but there's some good examples they're the people who have kind of reinvented themselves over and over again right because it's yeah i mean you know if you even take like your early years in trance music as an example right you know if you had just stuck to trance and it was mm -hmm. 2018 and you were still just doing more trance you know right like <laughs> I think there's probably a ceiling on that. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you keep evolving your music as you evolve as a person, uh, that's probably a much more interesting arc to follow. Right, exactly. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you elaborated. Probably. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's funny. I, I was. Uh, I, I did one of these uh, episodes with Paul Oakenfold recently, oh, yeah. which was very interesting. Crazy. Yeah, I bet. Crazy dude, yeah. A uh, lot of great stories, but he, one of the last things we talked about was, you know, I kind of asked him in this crazy career of his, you know, what were the the low moments and what mm. were kind of the hard times? Because, you know, you just hear about all of his crazy accolades. And he was saying that kind of for him, you know, he was like the herald of trance music and then all of a sudden trance wasn't cool right. anymore. And that that was really hard for him to sort of adjust to not being on the main stage anymore and <laughs> right. being in the fourth tent on the left. And But to all of us, you never seem to dip, you know? It's like right. to, from the outside, your, you know, your... Um, challenges and your hard times don't really seem like hard times to other people. Um, it's usually just internal and completely psychological. <laughs> yeah, that's so true. I mean, I, I don't know if you're this way, but I'm very much in the way that I analyze my own career much more than anyone else does. Right. And, you know, I think that people are perceiving all these things that no one is even noticing. Right. And, and it's harder now with the internet because you see all your numbers. <laughs> oh, God, yeah. And, and uh, that's the most um, disillusioning thing <laughs> you can... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, when you start judging yourself by those numbers. Which right. I feel like you've had an interesting relationship to social media mm -hmm. in that you know, you've been at times out very outspoken, calling out things that that you don't like or things you'd like to see happening in the mm -hmm. music community. But then other times you kind of took a step back, is that right? Or right. even got rid of it entirely? Yeah, I mean, um, yeah, I've been on both sides <laughs> of that for sure. Um, Where do you sit with it now? I mean, so, sometimes I have the urge to say something, but when I... Nowadays, when I really want to say something, you know, 
profound. I think first, have have I like searched long enough? Have I like read enough or you know dug deep enough into what I'm talking about <laughs> to be able to really you know? Right. And, and may, is it better? to talk about a subject or is it better just to keep on learning and setting an example and yeah <laughs> that's a great question too i'm pretty quiet on social media just in general there's very few things that occur in my head that i really think other people need to be aware of right and that's an interesting thing because i do wonder sometimes you see the people who do speak out all the time and just use social media constantly right for some of them, it's very successful a mm -hmm. as a tool and maybe as a way of letting people get to know them if in an ideal world, right? Mm -hmm. But I don't know. For me, I, I tend to fall on your side where I hope that people can just see what I do and right. take it as they will. Yeah, that doesn't stop me making a few <laughs> <laughs> jabs, though. I mean, well, because it's well, I, I'm curious how you look at you know being outspoken at this point. Like, if you look back at some of whatever you want to call it, the Twitter beefs or just the the statements you've made, do you think there have been times where a positive outcome has come from it? Um, I don't, I don't think. A net positive outcome mm. has ever come from it. No, um, maybe like a temporary high, but that's now how I see social media. Like just as a temporary high. Yeah, it's just a dopamine hit at the end of the day, and that's what I've come to realize it was. And mm. uh, um, but I think a lot of the things I was saying might have hold true, but doesn't mean that you know me saying them has had a positive effect. <laughs> sure. Yeah, that's a good distinction in that I, I think there's some issues in the music industry, and especially in dance music, that many of us are just aware of on a constant basis. Mm -hmm. But yeah, maybe yelling about it in certain ways. I mean, it's good to make people aware of it. Yeah. But <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it hasn't gone away. It's not going to be less of a problem um, just because one person says something. Sure. Think, you know. I mean, maybe maybe the positive spin on it is that by speaking up, you attract like-minded people and you can kind of find your way to your own community well, that you'd like to be a part that of. That definitely has happened, yeah. But I wouldn't encourage them <laughs> <laughs> to be, you know, really loud ab about, you know, issues like that. I sure. Mean, obviously, everyone has issues that they're passionate about, but... Yeah, I just wish I was uh, more thoughtful in the way that I, you know, I could have written music about what I was talking about. I mm. could have, you know, done something more creative than just spout on social media. Sure. Well, and it's interesting for you to talk about, you know, kind of finding people, but then telling them not to do <laughs> as you did. Because uh, it seems like, in especially in the last few years, you know, you have your label, Mad Zoo, and... Uh, from what I understand, there's a certain level of mentorship uh, mm -hmm. that you take on with the artists you work with and even just kind of the artists circling what you do. And it was something I wanted to ask you about if that was always a goal for you in starting a label or if mentorship is the best word I can think of is something that just kind of came later as you noticed that, you know, there were all these young artists who might not know the best path. Right. But I mean... Not so much mentorship as providing a good circle of 
people to you know listen to sure um, just a good I, community right exactly um yeah i i try and give people guidance about production and um you know everything music related but when it comes to the music industry side of things i think people should you know choose learn on their own and learn their own path Okay, so you'll be a little more hands off with that. Yeah, I don't. I don't tell people not to do anything, mm. <laughs> as a general rule. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I just try and now I try and lead by example, even though sometimes, <laughs> you know, I'm still growing. Sure, of course. <laughs> it's interesting to think about because I'm guessing you work with some pretty young artists mm-hmm. on the label, and it's always interesting to see a young artist come in because the game is so different now than when we were their age. Right. And so maybe we're not even qualified to give certain I, advice. Yeah, that's you know? exactly what I'm thinking. Like, you know, some I have a lot more to learn from some of these kids <laughs> than they do for me. It's, um, I mean, it's scary how good some of these kids right. are. Right, yeah, so and, how, and, and how clear a vision they have. And, that's yeah. true, too. I, that's another thing I was thinking about in reference to, to your career because... I think one of the hallmarks, one of the many things that you're known for is really top-notch sound design, top-notch mixing, you know, just general quality of sound. Um, And I think when you started, you know, uh, like way back when, that maybe was less common than it is now. And I was sort of wondering for you how you kind of latched on to, you know, that pristine sound quality and design that early mm-hmm. when it wasn't kind of just swirling around. Um, I'm glad you say that. Because <laughs> I don't know. Well, I've always, I, that's mine. always something I've really judged myself on. Um, and I've been struggling for years. It's only been very recently where I've gone to a place where I'm comfortable with mm. my sound design and mixing. Um, so for a long time, I think, well... I think everyone can agree in the electronic music industry that Noisia have, you know, they were first in the yeah. like high like end um, sound design game. Yeah, no, they <laughs> they not only set the bar, but they probably made the bar. Themselves. Yeah, yeah, they they definitely made the bar, and um, yeah, definitely um, learning from them. I had the amazing opportunity to meet them and get to know them and learn from them kind of early on um in 2014 i met them and mm. i think from then on that was like the real change so i attribute a lot of it to them for sure that's cool um, how did that come about or what form did that take um well i've always been a fan of them and we went uh we were all on tour together and uh on an australian festival tour so i <laughs> got to hang out with them uh, just as a coincidence. And yeah. Just uh, hit it off. Just, yeah, from from there it was yeah great. <laughs> That's fantastic, man. So let's take it back a, a little bit for you because um, I'm sort of interested in how you even came to dance music in the first place. Um, because a- as we're talking, I hear kind of a hint of a UK <laughs> accent, but I think my understanding is that you weren't originally born there. So I was born in the UK, but I uh, moved soon after to Cleveland. Okay. For uh, the t- first ten years of my childhood, oh, and then, wow. I, then I moved back to London for the rest of my teenager. Interesting, yeah. man. Shout out to Cleveland. I'm, yeah. a, I'm a Midwest dude. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I, I, Minneapolis and Chicago were nice. home base for me, but I've spent 
many a strange night in Cleveland. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a strange place. It's interesting growing up there. For what sure. was that like? I mean, I, I think of Cleveland as I've never lived there, but I had some family there. Yeah, I think of it as kind of a, you know, like a working town and can be rough in some areas. Yeah, yeah. It's it's just uh, they say. Cleveland is where all the people that didn't make it in New York <laughs> get to make it. <laughs> that sounds um, about right. <laughs> but yeah, uh, I don't know. It, I have good memories and bad memories, but um, yeah, there's a lot of great stuff about Cleveland. Like, uh, There's a lot of great art and culture there, actually. They have a great art museum and um, a huge music community. Okay. that um, I was not even aware of that. Yeah, they're like... Their classical music scene is world renowned. Hmm. Um, and yeah, same did any of that? Did you here. intersect with any of that from you know up to age ten? Like yeah, I mean my mom with you. My mom's a violinist, so she definitely made sure of that. <laughs> okay, like a professional, right? Like, yeah. Okay, yeah. Um, so yeah, Cleveland was a great place to grow up in many ways, but um, stifling in a lot of other ways. <laughs> what brought you out there? Was it her work? Yeah, um, yeah. My, my parents split up, and um, my mom moved to Cleveland mm. and took me. And, yeah, and then I moved back with my dad in, when I was ten or eleven, and um, that was co- the exact opposite. <laughs> yeah, w- in London or somewhere else? In London, okay. yeah. And yeah, growing up there was eye-opening wow um, how did you feel do you remember at the time like going over there and how you felt about it yeah i mean cleveland um for all of its uh like classical music and art culture i i felt very segregated there you know i didn't really meet, segregated in what sense um racially uh and um culturally culturally you know economically every every you know mo- like most of america yeah Every, everything's pretty segregated. And then London is the exact opposite. Everything is checkerboarded together and mixed and everything has to interact. And I found that inspiring and yeah. Mm. And it definitely had a huge impact. What were you, were you musical as a kid? Yeah, yeah. No, I, uh, my dad and yeah, both my parents made sure that I was um, really interested in music and art. And okay. Um, what does your dad do? He's a painter. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So you come from a, a strong art pedigree. Yeah, they didn't really give me a chance <laughs> <laughs> to be a, a scientist or something. <laughs> was that ever something you were even interested yeah. in? Yeah. No, when I was a kid, I wanted to be a neuroscientist. Really? <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. That's so... I love this because every single person I talk to on this show, basically the story is that you know, my parents tried to get me to concentrate on my school, but all I wanted to do was, you know, jerk around and make music. Yeah. But I love hearing the reverse. It's really funny. Like, I would collect uh, office stationery as, like, a hobby. <laughs> I really wanted to have, like, a desk job. <laughs> oh, man, that is incredible. <laughs> and would your parents see this and kind of try to get you to do something weirder? Right, yeah. exactly. It's like... Oh yeah, <laughs> you don't hear that. <laughs> yeah, oh, that's I <laughs> Very love often. that. Uh, were you playing instruments? Yeah, um, my mom uh, started me off on violin when I was like five, okay. and then guitar. I started playing when I was eight. When did you start um, kind of taking your own initiative with it? Do you remember? And, and you know, sort of 
doing something more than just what your teachers told you to do or what your parents wanted you to do with it? Yeah, well, when I got my first computer when I was 11, um, I got some software, music software, because I had seen my brothers make music on their computers. And, mm. yeah. Older brothers? Yep, yeah. I have two older brothers. And yeah, uh, I just sort of really wanted to do that. What software? <laughs> and, um, God, what? Well, I started on Logic 5 okay. when it was for a PC. <laughs> Man, starting yeah. on Logic at age 11 seems pretty intense. Man. Yeah, it, was, it didn't really work on my computer either <laughs> very well. But I, I made like one or two like, things out of it before I switched to Fruity Loops. <laughs> mm, okay. Do you um, still use Fruity Loops? No, no. Okay. And that, I switched from Fruity Loops to Ableton. Okay, yeah. yeah. So at that time, what were you even trying to make? Um, well, the first dance music I had ever heard was Daft Punk. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Daft Punk, Chemical Brothers, um, Lemon Jelly. Oh, okay. Were another um, one. But yeah, I was just tried to copy them, basically. Wait, who are... That name is so familiar, Lemon Jelly. Who yeah, are Lemon they? Jelly are like uh, sort of... I'd call them acoustic breaks. <laughs> okay. <laughs> they're, yeah, they were like from the early thousands um, and... Kind of like in, were they, you know, lumped in with like Thievery Corporation and that? Yeah, sort style? of. Yeah. Yeah. Um, chill out. Right. Chill out, down tempo kind right. of stuff. And yeah, I'd, I bought, they were like the one of the first CDs I ever bought because I liked the album cover. <laughs> yeah. Dude, that's, <laughs> that's how, how it works. Oh, man. It's so crazy thinking about how we used to find music versus how we find right. it now. No, I, I, I still try and find music based on the cover, especially really? when I'm like actually record shopping for like old records mm. for sampling. I almost 100% of the time go based on oh, I love the album that. cover. <laughs> and most of the time, I feel like they used to spend more or at least invest more in the album artwork when the music was good, you know? <laughs> yeah, I think that's true, actually. And sometimes you could tell if the art was really out there that maybe there was something right. interesting you were about to hear. Yeah, it's, the artwork expresses something about the music, for sure. Do you think that's been lost a little bit at this point? Um, I don't think that's necessarily been lost. I mean... I mean, there's still great art out there. Um, right, but I think people look at the art less, or or it's less of a... Because it's not something that you actually own and pick up and right. look at with your it's hands. It's more, it's a, you know, a four pixel by four pixel right. square on your phone. Yeah. Exactly. You lose, you lose a relationship with it. Yeah, that's interesting. Because I would do the same thing, man. I would go into this record store, just pick it up, look at the cover, buy it, yeah. you know, go home, see what it was. Right. <laughs> do you still do a lot of sampling, like from the record store sampling? Mm -hmm. um, I try not to as much nowadays because I feel like it's gotten even more expensive now to clear samples. Yeah, I think probably because people do it less, right? Yeah, exactly. And yeah, it's like a feedback effect. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And just um, yeah, diminishing so, returns. Yeah, so I've got one tune coming out in September that's probably going to be my last tune that I use a really expensive sample. <laughs> mm, <laughs> but I, I still sample records for like, you know, in weirder ways. And like, sure. And I mean, there, you know, I, I'm sure we all at some point in our lives have sampled creatively so that right. really no one knew that we sampled. Exactly. And yeah. But yeah, nowadays I'm more excited about um, making everything from scratch. Like mm. even, even synthesizing vocals I'm really excited about now. Really? Yeah. Man, that is something I know very little about, but that sounds really interesting. It's interesting and scary yeah. <laughs> at the same time. Is that related to the like Vocaloid mm -hmm. stuff where um, 
what's the Hatsune? Yeah, Hatsune. Uh, I forgot the name. Yeah, but. yeah. But the basically the uh, hologram pop star that tours around. Yeah. I'm fascinated with that kind of stuff. Yeah, a new version of that software just came out, which makes it so much more expressive and you can make it sound pretty scarily human. <laughs> really? Yeah. Wow. And have you put out music already using that? Um, there is one tune of mine on SoundCloud with an old version of Vocaloid, but I haven't used it. Okay. On, Man, on I'll be really yet. interested to hear what you do with it. Yeah. No, I've already started one tune with it. That sounds eerily <laughs> right <laughs> well but it's kind of that's kind of awesome because you know if you want if you think about how can we keep pushing boundaries how can we keep it interesting mm -hmm. you know s having a, a song with lyrics that's sung but having no one actually singing it yeah that's no one's doing that that's crazy yeah i mean no i mean there are people like the hat suit right, right but um but at least it in, hasn't it hasn't become yeah for what we of, do you know in our little it's still niche, niche right yeah um but I, I sometimes think if I should be doing, <laughs> you know, I'm I'm a huge proponent of good talent, good singing. Um, you know, I feel like that's the most important thing. And if I'm, you know, synthesizing every single aspect of a of a vocal to make it sound exactly how I want it, is that some such a good thing? Well, I, I think it's at least a cool experiment because if you no matter how close you get it to sounding like a human, it's still not going to be oh, right. exact, of right? Course, yeah. And so I feel like those little nuances will make what you do stand out. Right. In I, I guess we don't know if it's a good or bad way yet, yeah. but I like that experimenting. I mean, for you, is that is that something that keeps you here, that keeps you excited, is always kind of trying new techniques and, and yeah. pushing the boundaries? Every day I'm like, most of what I do is working on my sound design. So I feel like I'm more of a scientist than a like an artist sometimes. That's interesting. Because every day when I go into the studio, I'm trying to make new sounds and use plugins in different ways and just trying to advance my trick toolbox. Sure. You know? How much do you feel like you rely on your musical background in terms of, you know, classical training? Mm -hmm. Does that play, how much of a role does that play in your day-to-day -day studio time? Um, that, I mean, I, I try and detach that sometimes when I'm doing sound design. Obviously, um, I feel like the way I was raised, it's never gonna go away because it was so like pounded into me. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> so I try and focus as hard as like I can just on the the sound of it and not on the musicality of it. Um, sometimes because um, sometimes with certain musics, musicality musicality can be a, a drawback. <laughs> right. You know. Right. Like, no, a hundred percent. Sometimes you want to feel the groove and just you know. And, and sometimes doing the wrong thing ends up being more effective, right, right? Exactly. You know, being musical is a hindrance sometimes because it makes you less creative in some ways. There's more restrictions with music, and um, there with electronic music. I mean, obviously, um, good emotional, emotive uh, chords, and you know. Things that require a lot of musical knowledge are great, but also what's great about electronic music is the sonic landscape, which, mm. you know, when you're thinking too much about music, you sometimes forget about. Yeah, 
Yeah, keeping that balance is is really hard. And I mean, you know, obviously some artists fall more to one side or the other, and I don't know that there is a perfect balance, mm-hmm. but uh, it is interesting to think about having to try to unlearn things because I think mm. both you and I know completely untrained producers who are incredible. Right. And sometimes I look at what they do because I, I have a, sort of an academic music background too. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I look at the completely untrained people it's just like, Jesus, I would never right. have thought to break it in that way, you know? Yeah, exactly. A good, I mean, a good example is my uh, friend Jake Kill the Noise. Oh, yeah. I mean, he doesn't really have a musical background, but his ideas are genius, you know? He, I look up to him as a musical creator. Um, he, I just don't know where his ideas come from. He's, yeah, he's one of a kind, man. I right. love him so much. We've been trying to find a time to get him on this show because it needs to happen. His, his brain is one of the best yeah. brains I know, man. Yeah, he, he, yeah definitely pick his, <laughs> his brain on, in public. Yes. <laughs> people need to hear Yeah, no, more. people really do need to yeah. hear from him more. <laughs> I want to get to how you met him and some of the other interesting people you've worked with. But before we do, I'd like to talk a little bit more about those early years and, you know, from the days where you first started producing, first started, you know, the the early attempts. Um, were you thinking at that time that music could be something you do for the rest of your life? Mm-hmm. Was it a thought to try to turn it into a career? Yeah, um, well... In the very early days, I really wanted to be a graphic designer. Mm. Um, bef- and after I wanted to be a neuroscientist. <laughs> um, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so music just was a hobby that um, I turned out to be kind of good at. That I I uploaded my music to forums, and a lot of people liked it. And that's when I, you know, decided, or, or at least fell into sort of. Making music, yeah. Sure. So the the early feedback was uh, supportive, right? And that's what maybe gave you. the Oh idea. yeah. Without the early support, um, I wouldn't have picked it up as as hard as I did. Which makes me think now, like, with it's harder for kids starting to get feedback. And I think, I think about how that. many, yeah, how many great producers out there have have just given up just because they didn't get feedback in the early days when you know they were still learning yeah no encouragement and, and it's just so hard to even make noise because you know there's just this sea of static that right. you know is so many people trying to make music at the same time exactly because if you listen to my very first tune they're complete <laughs> crap like everybody else's you know? <laughs> right 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 so i think you know if i didn't have some encouragement <laughs> mm. How do we, is that something you try to do now with the label and with that community building we were talking about earlier? Yeah, I mean, it's it's hard because you, you have to spend your time wisely and you can't just give feedback to every single person who uh, sends you music. Right, yeah, you don't want to open I those did gates. Try, I did try to do that for a little while. Really? And it was exhausting. Oh, man. <laughs> and uninspiring, but... <laughs> What are we talking like fifty a day, a hundred a day? Yeah, you know, yeah. like you and a backlog as well. So, <laughs> <laughs> right. um, yeah, I I realize that I I try and you know be choosy with who I give feedback to and who I think has developed their music more, which is hard. 
And I just hope that there's others out there who give feedback to the more um, inexperienced artists. Sure, yeah. I mean, it's something I've started doing with this show too, is you know, I always open up the email address and all that and just say, if you want to send me whatever, feel free. And it's been cool, man. I mean, it's been a bit of the same problem that sometimes it gets overwhelming and sometimes you know, it's so beginner that I don't really know how to be helpful. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, I have uh, met some really great producers that I would have right. never heard otherwise. Exactly. And yeah, shout out to everybody who's who's doing it out there. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes you have a question for them that, you know, sometimes they have something to teach you. Oh, so. yes. More often than not. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah a, lot of, a lot of the demos we get for Mad Zoo, I, I often reply like, how did you do that? <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> Yeah, it's so interesting because everybody's process is different and we're only now, and even in 2018, just a little bit getting into the point where there's a lot of formalized training for this kind of right. thing. Yeah. Like it's only in the last few years that, you know, the YouTube tutorials went crazy, mm -hmm. Icon Collective opened up, all that sort yeah. of thing. Maybe that's part of it. Like, do you like that there's always something more to learn? Mm. Well, I mean, it would suck if there wasn't. But. I mean, I guess that's true, but in a way, sometimes I get frustrated. Like, mm -hmm. I'm just like, man, can't I just fucking be good now? You right. know, <laughs> like, why do I have to keep, you know, trying to figure all this new stuff out? Yeah, I think for, for me, I've learned that that is what I do it for. Like, something about just being good and like being comfortable with that scares me. Mm. Um, I don't know. Maybe it was the maybe it was my the way my parents raised me. Or like, I, were they? I, did they have high standards? Yeah, for your they, performance and everything. You know, they're still very judgmental. Really? <laughs> like, you know, they they have high standards for me for so, sure. So, how um, does that? I'm so curious how that manifests in present day. Like, did they look at a picture of your show and be like, ah, oh, the back looks a little empty? Never with my shows, but I I still send music to my mom. She says, you know, this could <laughs> be better. <laughs> oh man! And yeah, that's uh, amazing. Yeah, like they they make sure that I'm not always critical, and I I don't hate them for it. No, no, no. <laughs> it's a, that's a great thing. I, I think we can all use critical voices that we trust, right? Right. Yeah, exactly. Do your um, parents understand your music and the whole scene around oh, it? Oh, yeah. Um, my mom has been one of my biggest supporters, for sure. That's interesting. <laughs> my dad doesn't really understand it, but I don't expect him to. He's, right. He's very much of the past. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. But Yeah, my parents are, are similar. They're extremely supportive, mm -hmm. love it all, but, right. you know, it's, it's not their thing. Exactly, obviously. right. Man, that's so funny. And so for you, you know, you start posting music up, you're getting good feedback. How did you dip your toes into kind of the industry side of it? Were you pretty quickly approached to put some of the music out? Mm -hmm. How did that kind of evolve? Yeah, um, I put out music on tiny little labels that approached me and I didn't really know what I was doing. I just signed whatever and <laughs> you didn't have management or anything like no, that. No, I at just the time. I had no idea what I was doing. Yeah. I still don't to some extent. <laughs> oh, <but laughs> same here, my friend. Yeah. <laughs> no, but um yeah. I you know, I got screwed over a lot, uh like a lot of young artists do and people just sort of taking your music yeah, and not really Exactly. Yeah, um paying you or supporting you. Right. But and in those days EDM wasn't even a thing yet, and nobody really cared about electronic music. So I, 
you know, nobody cared if some little kid got screwed Yeah, over. the stakes were much lower. <laughs> right. right, exactly. Was there, uh, was there money to be made? Were there shows to be played? I mean, there was yeah. some scene, right? Well, in Europe, I was where I started for sure. Um, and you were still in the UK at the time? Yeah, in the UK. Actually, my first professional gig was in the Netherlands. Oh, really? Yeah. What was I that? Mean, Do you remember it? Yeah, it was crazy. What was that like? <laughs> it was great. Um, I screwed up so hard. <laughs> that's what, the biggest memory that's train wrecking. Out. Yeah, I train wrecked so hard. Uh, but yeah, it was it was fun. I made a weekend out of it. You know, had a bender. And, right. You know, I was eighteen. Oh, <laughs> so. perfect, man. And, and so obviously, you were a producer first, mm-hmm. right? And, and did you have any DJ experience before that first show? Yeah. Um, actually, my first like. DJing like the first time I picked up a deck was um, at school <laughs> before I was really producing. Really? Yeah, like some uh, DJ called uh, DJ Pied Piper, who's a pretty big garage DJ in the UK, mm. was friends with one of the music teachers at the school, so he came in and did a sort of DJ lesson. Oh, that is so. And I was British. Re- yeah, <laughs> growing up in London was awesome. Yeah. God, that's amazing. Um, so yeah, I got the itch for that pretty quickly. and um, But I never actually owned uh, decks for a long time. But sure. I would always go over to my friends' places and practice. So I was already really into it. Um, okay, so it before. wasn't one of those things where you got booked and then it was like, oh shit, I need to figure out how right. to DJ. Yeah. yeah. Luckily, there was still some DJ culture um, in the UK. Right. <laughs> yeah, and so what... What year was that? Do you remember approximately? Yeah, that was 2003, 2002. That you did the gig in the Netherlands? Oh, no, that was 2008. (laughs) 2008, okay, cool. And what was the scene in Europe like at that time? Because, Mm -hmm. you know, 2008, right around there was when I was coming up in Chicago, and I have a very good sense of what was happening in the United States, Mm -hmm. but not so much in, in Europe at the time. Um, what was really popping over there? My view was very limited because I was specifically um, in trance. Right. But yeah, I mean, dance music, that's where when dance music was really at its peak in the UK. Um, you know, pop music was dance music in the UK at that right. point. You know, um, all the hits were like Axwell and like. Right. Those um, were like the number one radio right. hits. Yeah. And, and, it's what everybody listened to. Yeah. Um, so it was like ha- then having it, experiencing the same thing over here a few years later was interesting because it's like. Yeah, I mean, that's the way it goes, right? Is that we, it always comes to the US a few years later. You can mm-hmm. always kind of look to the UK, I think, in particular to mm-hmm. have some ideas about what might come in a few years over yeah, here. Yeah, I wonder if that's still true. But <laughs> I wonder that too. I mean, I guess I don't know exactly what is big in the UK for dance music right now. People tell mm. me drum and bass is making a big comeback. Right. Yeah, drum and bass always has these waves that right. always come back in every few years. But I don't know that drum and bass can ever have an explosion here. You know what I I've mean? I've thought a, a long time about this, and I don't think so either. Um, mainly because the culture in the UK has always, like, it's, um, how should I put it? It's like we had um, reggae culture um, that was, you know, part of mass culture. Um, it, there was just um, 
people knew how to skank. <laughs> right, right. Before right. drum and bass came along. <laughs> That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, yeah. The dance was already kind of, you had the muscle yeah, memory. Right, exactly. It was already conducive to that style. Right. Um, whereas in the US, I feel like drum and bass is really um, successful in like the Latin communities where that sort of style of dancing already exists. Sure. But you know, you have to ha- have that style of dancing there first, I feel like, for it to take off. Yeah, yeah, I think that's true. And, and I think there are some, I, I was actually just talking to, to Muramasa about this, about, um, we were talking about grime and about footwork mm. and, and kind of the similar way where they're so specific to where they're from yeah. that it's really hard to uproot them entirely and put them somewhere else and have it work. Exactly. Yeah. It's the thing I hear most because I still play a lot of drum and bass in the States. And the thing I hear most is I don't know how to dance to this. Right. <laughs> yeah, it makes sense. I mean, if you had no idea how to dance to it, the music wouldn't make sense at all. It's just fast. And I mean, do you consider I'd, the dance floor when you're producing? Um, more, more so now than I used to, yeah. Mm. <laughs> when I used to, I didn't at all uh, sometimes. But um, nowadays, I do keep it in mind just because it's more fun to <laughs> make sure. music that you want to dance to. <laughs> yeah, 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 of course. And, and so how did it evolve for you? You know, you play your first show in the Netherlands. I imagine you keep putting out releases. You keep playing some more shows. It builds. Um, when did you start uh, breaking back into the U.S.? Did, mm-hmm. that, did that happen quickly as well, or was that a bit later? Um, well, yeah, just as like EDM was coming up, I was coming up in trance, and right. a lot of people were making that transition into EDM at the time. And yeah, I was no different. Uh, <laughs> was it a conscious thing? Did you just kind of see that wave starting to build and kind of realize that? Well, I guess I I, I shouldn't even like, no, I, color it. But. No, it's 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 a good point. Um, maybe I mean at the t- from what I remember, the thing I. Is just is just feeling really um, disillusioned with trance and like feeling like it's really stale and like I needed something new and fresh. Did you feel but, that way internally, or did you feel that way about kind of the whole trance scene at the time? Yeah, both. Mm. Yeah, I felt like my music was getting stale and the whole scene was getting stale. And but I think maybe deep down, maybe there's something. <laughs> was to do with the fact that EDM was taking off. Sure, you know? sure, and it's a it's new, hard. exciting thing. Exactly, I'm not going to pretend. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, and we talked earlier about kind of that moment when you would decide to diversify and mm-hmm. to start branching out and trying different things. I I ask only because I'm... I was like a trans fan when I was much younger and then I kind of lost track of what was happening with the scene. It, at that time for you, what did you see happening? Was it just not enough innovation? Just kind of too many people making the same sounds over and over? Right. It was, yeah, a combination of all of that. Um, yeah, I just felt like people were using the same sounds over and over, the same super saw. And um, to some extent, I still feel like that. But now... I don't care as much because um, I've been writing a lot of interest. Well, what I f- think is interesting, like trancey stuff, mm. with interesting sound design, and 
I think I was complaining a lot at the time because I didn't know how to do that <laughs> with trance. <laughs> right. But now I, I feel like I'm more confident with my own productions that I'm less bitter about the rest of the world. <laughs> sure, sure. Um, I mean, that's a great feeling. And I think maybe, I don't know if you'd agree, but at least for me, I think as we get older and evolve personally, I can now sort of look back at what I originally loved about dance music and try to do something that recaptures that feeling that I that got me into it in the first place, yeah. even if it's not the exact sound. Exactly. And I mean, I don't know if it works, but at least for me, it makes me feel good. It's fun. You right. Know? Yeah. Um, so... Yeah, I just sort of reach a happy place. <laughs> and, you know. Are you are you planning to do more trance stuff now? Yeah, I've got um, some stuff coming out on Anjuna Beats pretty soon. Oh man, um, you'll probably have some people really excited <laughs> about that. Yeah, it's been a while. How long has it been? Um, at least five years. <laughs> Ooh, man, and that's got to be fun for you too at this yeah. point. Exactly, because I've been focusing pretty much exclusively on making good sound design and mixing and um, applying that to drum and bass and sort of learning from all this, all these amazing bass music producers. Um, and I feel like now I'm at the point where I can finally tr start to apply that to like the, what I'm known best for. Yeah, bring it full circle. Right. Yeah, I love that. And was it that moment when you saw the you know the rise of EDM or whatever you want to call it? Was that when you started making connections with those other artists, bass artists, and people in different genres, yeah. drum and bass? Yeah, I definitely some part of me felt the need to reach out to these people and try to um, learn from them. And yeah, how did that at the start? How did that go for you? Because that at this point you had already put out your first album, right? Mm -hmm. Which was that nominated for a Grammy? Am I right about that? Yeah, <laughs> that's. I read that and I was like, man, I did not remember that. Yeah, I have some friends to thank for that. You know, it's it's all nepotism on the <laughs> Grammy panel. <laughs> I've heard that. Yeah, it's, it's good to hear it from someone who knows. But right. yeah, what was just very quickly? What was that experience like? I mean, did you even care? Was it like a big deal for you at the time? Um, I cared not in a good sense, though. I felt it like it was kind of damaging to my psyche. <laughs> really? Yeah, it didn't too put much me, pressure. Yeah, too much pressure. It didn't put me in a good place at all. I I didn't know what I was was doing. I didn't know where to go after that. Um, you know, you felt like maybe there were some now expectations. You know, yeah. Now it's if like if you put Grammy nominated, then people expect something. Grammy nominated means you expect to like try to get a Grammy in the future, which I, <laughs> I wasn't going for a Grammy nomination. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know? Um, so that uh, from that point on, I was like, well, if I don't try and get a Grammy now, it's like I've got this thing that I've never accomplished. Mm. Um, whereas I didn't really even think I was even, had a chance of accomplishing that in the first place. Right. It, it changed my goals and my whole mindset, and it's taken a long time to get out of that. Interesting. How do you see yourself? I mean, I guess that's a, a good way to talk about more current day. Like, how do you see yourself fitting into what's going on now? Because, you know, we've talked about you were outspoken at certain points about, you know, some practices you didn't like or, you know, calling people out, all of that. And you said sometimes you would take a step back. But it seems like at this point, I mean, you've got the label, you're talking about all these new releases that sound exciting and fun. 
and it seems like you're reinvigorated, at least mm-hmm. to a certain extent. Yeah. How, how do you see yourself kind of, where do you fit in in 2018? Does it even, do you care anymore? Yeah, I, I, I mean, when I think about that, I, I find it hard to really place myself because, I don't know, it, it's, it's hard to stay relevant in 2018, obviously, but I think the only way really is to not try if you yeah. if you think too much about it, then um, then you're immediately going to start pandering to certain people and stop thinking about you know and start. I think people forget what their actual taste is sometimes. <laughs> That's like, a great point. You know, it's it's all about sticking true to your taste, but sometimes you can really lose track of what your tastes actually are because you think too many th- things get mixed up into what you like and. Um, yeah. Well, and it's what you just said about the the Grammy nomination. It makes me think of that as well. I think we both probably know artists who have kind of gotten trapped inadvertently in something that maybe they're not so passionate about or they wish they were able to do something else just because they were maybe chasing whatever that trophy is, whatever that you know brass ring that they're trying to get. And right. when you get that tunnel vision you're completely right that you can sort of lose track of why you actually started doing it exactly and yeah it's it's really hard to come back from that do you think the the game the industry in general has gotten better in terms of some of the practices you would call out in the past you know a people being treated poorly Mm. you know ghost producers not getting their due or, you know, getting respect or their name or whatever it is, um, you know, certain bigger names being assholes. I right. mean, do, you, do you think it's gotten better at all or, or is it just kind of, d- have we navigated it better? I think, um, I don't think that's gotten better, but I think there has been more, um, more interesting and honest and true artists that are getting a bigger platform. A good example is Rez. Yeah. Um, it's just there's more exciting, uh, big, exploding um, artists that are interesting and honest. And, um, you know, not all of them are like <laughs> cookie cutter. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, I mean, you're right. It's uh, another inspiring one, which I bring up because I know you have a connection, is, you know, you look at what Porter Robinson did mm. with Virtual Self, right. which is a project that I'm sure nobody was telling him he should do and probably some people told him he shouldn't do. Mm -hmm. And to watch him sort of go from Porter Robinson, arguably one of the most successful electronic music projects in the last, you know, five years, Mm -hmm. 10 years, and to just step away from it and to do something weird that nobody asked for that's just based (laughs) on his influences from when he was a kid. I mean, I love, uh, the whole thing is so inspiring to me. He's a great example. And um, yeah, I, I think it's doing pretty well as well. Um, oh, I think it's doing great. I mean, you're about to go on tour with him, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, how, did you, how did you meet him originally? How did that come about? Um, he, he was really into my trance stuff uh, when he was like starting. And yeah, he invited me to go on tour with him with the M Machine and all four of us sort of became really good friends. <laughs> yeah. And 
five of us are <laughs> <laughs> right. And did you, you know, Easy? I think was a song that broke you into a lot of new ears. Mm-hmm. Um, how did that come about? Was that just sort of like a working on something with your friends? Yeah, kind of song. It was um, something we were working on the bus. Actually, um, he had a studio set up in the back, and um, yeah, Easy was one of those ideas that. I started, I had this vocal and a chord idea and um, gave it to him. He was like, I'd love to do something with it. And yeah, we made that and like, well, he made, I, I should be fair. He made a lot of that. Like I, I took a step back from mm. like the production of that a bit because he was on a roll. Right. Which is the way it goes sometimes. I, I mean, collaborations, you never really... I mean, I think maybe DJs can tell who made what sometimes, right. but I, you know, the exactly. public never knows. It's, it's kind of whoever's got the hot hand, right? Right, exactly. And at the time, it was his bus and his studio <laughs> in the back. It was, and I, I don't know, I just wasn't really uh, in a studio mood on that bus tour. <laughs> sure. Yeah, well, being in a studio mood on a bus is a that hard That was also thing. my f- first bus tour. Oh, so. really? <laughs> yeah. How did you handle it? Do you like touring in general? Do you like being um, on the road? I mean, the first bus tour was so exciting and, you know, it felt like you're in summer camp. And yeah, <laughs> yeah. And then... I, Every tour after that becomes a little bit less exciting. <laughs> and now it's to the point where, you know, just like keep your head down, <laughs> get to the next city, I mean, play your show. I mean, man, I feel you. <laughs> Is there anything you do to keep it fun? Are, are there little tour rituals or things you try to do while you're in a city? Well, definitely changing up my set is the f- main <laughs> right. thing that keeps it fun. Um, but yeah, um, yeah, meeting up with friends in various cities and stuff, the the usual stuff. Yeah. Has the the glamour of kind of, you know, the jet setting, the has that worn off a bit, the appeal of, you know, definitely being yeah. in a city every night. Oh god, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm a really I was like raised in a sort of rural area of Cleveland. <laughs> okay. So I, I really miss like greenery and, and like just nature and so yeah, traveling from city to city, from hotel to hotel can be pretty tiring. Yeah, I agree, man. It it takes it out of you in a way that's really hard to describe unless you've been through it. Right. Yeah. Uh, how do you do it now? Like, do you balance? Because I'd imagine you could tour as much as you want to at this point. Mm-hmm. Do you kind of have a system for it? Do you go, okay, I'll go, you know, three weeks on, two yeah. weeks off, anything like that? I don't I don't think I can really tour as much as I want to. Maybe really? that used to be the case, but um yeah, nowadays um it's harder. Mm-hmm. I and I don't release as much music as well. Um so well Hopefully, I'm going to start releasing more music because I've a lot, got a lot of backlog. <laughs> sure, but well, and I, having your own label is probably conducive to that, right? Right, exactly. Um, but yeah, you, it seems like now it's harder and harder to get gigs. Just to you have to keep like pumping out music. And there is that pressure again, man. It's another one. It's what we were talking about before. You can't stop, right? right. And and if you stop or take a break, at least yeah. personally, I just hear this voice in my head saying like, oh, you're fucking up. Right. You know? Yeah, but that is still not the case, you know? Right. It's like you have to go, so many of people said this, I, I don't know who first said it, but you have to go away to come back. And, yes. And um, it rings true. 
do you change anything? You know, I think I think about the idea of, you know, sort of reinvention, like from the show you're doing tonight, the house music tour, to going on tour with virtual self. Does the way you perform change? Does your set change? Yeah, I mean, it definitely has to. <laughs> well, right. Um, yeah. I, I, I guess I'm asking if that's, like, fun and interesting oh, for you. Yeah, 100%. I always, like, I start doing a tour like this house tour and at the beginning of it I'm really excited to play house music because it's like I yeah I usually switch it up a lot and then by the end of it I kind of want to switch it up again (laughs) or (laughs) play drum and bass or something else you know so I'm really lucky to be in the position where I can do that where people book me for different things where I can play different styles because it must be really frustrating for a DJ that doesn't want to always play what they're known for and not being able to do that. Yeah. And I'm really, really lucky to be able to, um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's it's interesting, man. I was, I was talking to Wolfgang Gardner kind of about this idea and he, at the time I talked to him, was very over the electro sound that he had become known for and he was saying he wouldn't play the hits anymore. He was like really trying to make a whole nother style and since then... He kind of found his way back to it, you know, yeah. and really doubled down on that classic Wolfgang thing, and seems to be having a really great time with it again. But I, mm-hmm. man, I want to talk to him again to yeah. figure yeah, out. Yeah, see, yeah, see where it has that now. Um, but yeah, it, it always comes back at some point. Like I said, you know, I was really fed up with trance and all of us, all that, and yeah, I, I just had to sort of find that childlike innocence again, mm. <laughs> and. Yeah, have Do fun you feel like it. you you've got that vibe right now? It, you At know. the moment, right now, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, maybe that's a good way of talking about sort of what you have coming up, what you're excited about for the future, what mm-hmm. people should be looking out for. You know, what what's coming up next for you that you're really stoked about in the next you know six months, twelve months? Yeah, I've got a drum and bass single I'm putting out on Mad Zoo, and I've got um, that a little EP for Anjuna Beats. And I've started another sort of housey, trancey thing for Mad Zoo as well. Uh, yeah, there's loads of music coming. Um, Are you doing but, more with uh, Jake with Kill the Noise? Yeah, that's where we've been working on that for so long, and I feel like that's all nearly ready. Um, I can't talk too much about that. No, though. that's fine. <laughs> I that's really fine. want to. But <laughs> <laughs> no, that's totally fine. Yeah. <laughs> What's it like when you guys get in the studio, man? I'm so curious what that mm-hmm. vibe is. Does one of you handle, you know, drums? Does one of you handle synths, or is it just kind of all we, over the map? Yeah, we both handle the workload equally. Um, I've never worked with anyone like that, actually, where everyone does everything. Um, right. Yeah, it's usually one as a, a specialism, but um, yeah, no, we both share like, you know, drum design, synth design, musical ideas. Like some of the things that we're making, you would think that I made, but Jake actually. Like, oh, interesting. Like his, it was his idea. Oh, uh, that's like so cool. all the music. Like a lot of the musical stuff was him. That people would think was me and. Like a lot of the drum design and, and synth design that you'd think was Jake was actually me. Oh, that's so fun. So it's it's been a lot of fun. Like. I think yeah, we've just given each other uh, an outlet to explore new new things, and maybe I think that's the best thing a collaboration can give any of us, right? Exactly. And what are your goals at this point? You know, what what keeps you here? What keeps you excited? Mm-hmm. Um, say in a hypothetical five years down the road, ten years down the road, 
what would you want, you know, Matt Zoe, the project to look like? Yeah, it's... I know I, that's a huge question. I know, but. and uh, <laughs> yeah, I I try not to think about it, honestly. That's probably smart. <laughs> <laughs> the thing I hope is that, you know, noisy and never go away, so I always have someone <laughs> to like, yeah, because... Yeah, having having people that really set the bar. Um, I, I don't know what I'd do if if I didn't ha- like have anybody that I was really like looking up to in terms of like sonic landscape and, mm. and, and yeah. Well, maybe that you know you talked earlier about how it's only in the last couple of years you felt a little confident in your sound design. How it took you a really long time to feel like your music was even quote unquote good. And these high standards. I mean, do you think that's part of it that you really can't let yourself be too comfortable? Right. Yeah. You you have to be uncomfortable with yourself <laughs> to be a good producer. I feel like, and, and to just to be an artist, right. probably. Yeah, right. Exactly. Any any craft. Man. Well, I I love that note. I think that's an awesome way to leave it. Is there anything we haven't covered? Anything you want to get out there? Um. Yeah, uh, artists on my label, Crash, just put out a great single yesterday called Birds of Prey. Um, check that out if you haven't already. Awesome. Yeah, um, we do. Uh, I'll throw that up on the Spotify playlist for this show. Nice. Yeah, that's. Uh, I, I love Crash, everything he does, but th- this tune's really f- awesome. So. Hell yeah. Any other artists, anything else you want to plug coming up for the label? Um,. This year, it's mainly just myself and maybe Swarty, who's our label manager. Uh, he's from the M Machine. I don't know if you know him. Oh, awesome. But, no, yeah. I've never met him. Um, yeah, so he might have another EP as well coming up. So Sick. yeah, look out for that. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, we usually like to end just by asking a really simple question. You don't have to think about it too much. We're kind of just looking for like random access memory. Mm-hmm. Um, just a time in your life and this could be something recent or for something in your past, a time in your life when music really, in a moment, deeply affected you. And that could mean changed the way you think about something. It could mean just gave you goosebumps or made you cry. You know, anything, sort of the first thing that pops into your mind. It doesn't have to be significant. Hmm. Well, I guess it would have to be... I know this is a really typical one, but hearing one more time for the first time. Oh, no, that's huge. <laughs> yeah. I, that's a perfect one. Yeah, no, it changed my life. Do you was, remember where you were? What I was you in were my doing? basement. I was eight. <laughs> <laughs> I was watching Much Music, um, which is a Canadian music channel. You got that in Cleveland? Yeah, we got it illegally. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> that was actually my first exposure to all dance music. But I heard that for the first time and... From that moment on, I, that's what I wanted to make, and I didn't know what it was. <laughs> You're right, so, right. That's um, beautiful. It, yeah, that that's I mean, the first thing I can think of. I, if I thought for long, I probably could have thought of. Uh, no, no, it's even answer, better. That's why we don't even. I, it's like I don't even <laughs> tell people to think too hard because yeah. I love. That's beautiful though, because I mean, even if you play one more time at a show now, you still get that childlike reaction, yeah, right? Exactly. And, and there's something special about that. Yeah. No matter how much of an anthem or how overplayed something is, in those moments, man, it really yeah. can't be beat. And I was like a rock, I loved rock music. So I was like head banging and playing guitar to death. Hell to yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hell yeah. I was the same. I was a metal head growing up and I 
treated electronic music kind of the same way yeah. I treated metal for a long time. Yeah, it was hard and it had the same energy to me. Yeah, <laughs> no, literally, yeah. My brain kind of thought it was the same thing. Right. Like, and I, I don't know if that's just wires crossed or... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Fuck it, man. Well, this, this has been awesome. Uh, yeah. Thank you for taking the time to do it, man. Yeah, thank and you. Had a blast. Yeah, uh, have a good show. Yeah, 100%. Have a good tour. And that's it. I'll talk to you later, my friend. Yeah, thanks. All right, peace. All right, that's the show. Shout out to Matt Zoe. Great to talk to you, man. For everybody out there listening, don't forget, Matt has a new track out right now called Vice. He's got a brand new EP coming soon on Anjuna Beats. Keep your eyes peeled for that. I'm a big fan. That was cool. My name is Willie Joy. You can follow me on all social media at Willie Joy or at Back to Back Pod. You can also email me, backtobackpod at gmail.com. I'm here for whatever you want to talk about, whatever you need. Holler at me. Don't forget to check out the Back to Bangers Spotify playlist that is linked to in the description of this episode. And that's it for this week. Next week, it's the 75th episode of Back to Back. We have a special guest. This is a big one. I'm excited to share it with you guys, but you're just going to have to wait till we drop it. Until then, I hope you have a great week, great weekend. Take care of yourselves. Be good to each other. For Back to Back, this is Willie Joy. Peace. <laughs>